Okay, so I'm glad you're here. Um, we're, it's uh, 1 a.m.-ish in the sukkah, Hoshana Rabbah. So everybody knows, you've heard it over and over, but it's, uh, it's good to say again. So it says that, that we're inscribed in the various books, right? You know, you have the Book of Life, and Reb Shlomo would never say the name of the other book. He would say there's the Book of Life and the Book of Not So Much. That's how he would say it. So, so on Rosh Hashanah it says we're inscribed, and then on Yom Kippur it says the book is sealed, and then tonight it says the it's delivered. The verdict is delivered. So this is this is big. This is this is really the culmination of uh, of all the work that's been going on since the beginning of Elul or. For you early birds, since Tuba'av. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we've been doing this little custom for the last bunch of years, and I like it. So, instead of sort of like arriving at it sometime into the night, I want to just actually start off this way. So, I'll ask you <clears throat> all to say amen after each one of these things. In the, in the Yom Kippur davening, we reach a point where it's got a list of, of a lot of the blessings that the, the, that the Kain Gadol, the high priest of Israel, would say after emerging from the, the Holy of Holies. So, so since this is so very relevant, let's, let's go for it. So, may be your will, Adonai Eloheinu, Vilehevoseinu, that this year that is coming upon us and upon all your people, the family of Israel, be a year in which you open your treasury for us. Amen. A year of abundance. Amen. A year of blessing. Amen. A year of beneficial decrees from before you. Amen. A year of grain, wine, and oil. Amen. A year of expansiveness, success, and permanence. Amen. A year of assembly in your holy temple. Amen. A year of affordable prices. Amen. A year of good life from before you. A year that is dewy and rainy if it's hot. A year when choice fruits sweeten their produce. A year of atonement for all of our iniquities. A year in which you will bless our food and our drink. A year of commerce. A year when we can come to our holy temple. A year of prosperity. (laughs) A year of delight. A year in which you will bless the fruit of our womb and the fruit of our land. A year in which you will bless our going and coming. A year in which you will save our community. A year in which your compassion will be stirred upon us. A year of peace and tranquility. A year in which you will lead us with upright pride to our land. So, there's more, but that got to the letter tough. So that was Olive through tough. So, anyway. um, So, Godwing will revisit that sometime sometime during the night. Uh, thank you. Give me a little holy bookmark there. Okay, great. So, I, 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 told, uh, I told you all a, 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 a medrash from Kehelis Rabbah, but it's so good that, um, that I want to tell you again. So, this is from the Likutea Rim, which is the, the first Ger Rebbe's Sefer. And, um, and what I especially love about it is it's, it's a conversation that's been recorded between the Ger Rebbe and the Ishbitzer Rebbe. And just, 
just to be able to be privy to that conversation and learning is, 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 I mean, it's, it's awesome. So here's how it goes. So it begins with this Medrash, which is in, um, Kahelis Rabbah. You know, Kahelis is so funny, you know, to, to hear the, this huge gap between the sound of a English sounding word and the sound of a Hebrew sounding word. So Kahelis in English is Ecclesiastes. <laughs> it just sounds like that can't be part of the Torah, Ecclesiastes, you know, but oh, Kahelis, yeah, yeah, of course that's a part of the Torah. So anyway, it's the same book. But um, so Kahelis is one of the volumes of wisdom of King Solomon. And then you have sort of like the, the rabbi's gloss on it, which is in Kahelis Rabbah, um, which is a separate book. And they have different midrashim, different uh, parables and explanations of what's in, in the book of Kehelis. So this is one of the parables. So you have uh, a, a very wealthy man, and he's on, a, he's on a ship, and he's got a lot of gold. And he overhears sailors plotting to murder him for the gold. And the man comes up with a plan. You know, like, what's he going to do? He's on a boat. He's a captive on the boat, basically, right? So, so he's very wise, and he manufactures an argument between him and his son, and then he throws all the gold overboard. And then when the sailors see that he doesn't have any gold anymore, they, they, they realize they don't, what, what, what use is it to us to murder him? So they let him live. When the boat pulls ashore, the man takes the sailors to court and sues them for the money that he lost. And the judge rules in his favor, and they have to pay him back all the money. And the sailors say to him, how, how did you figure this out? How did you know to do this? And he said, I learned it from Shlomo Melech, from King Solomon, because it says that there's a time to throw it away, right? A time to gather things and a time to throw it away. And I thought to myself, this is the time to throw it away in order to save my life. So that's how I figured it out. Okay, so that's the end of, that's the end of the, the Medrash. So the Ger Rebbe has a question on this Medrash. His question is, according to Torah law, if you cause a damage upon yourself, meaning to say, if you, if, if you throw the gold overboard <clears throat> and they didn't throw your gold overboard, then they shouldn't be responsible for it you cause the damage to yourself. So the, the Chedusha Arim, the Ger Rebbe, asks the question, why did the judge rule in this man's favor? That they had to pay him back? Because that's, that's not, that's not, wouldn't be the Torah law in this instance. So the, he asked the Ishbitzer Rebbe, and the Ishbitzer Rebbe gave him the following explanation. He says, the halacha is, if someone is taken captive, and you have to um, pay a ransom in order to free them, Right? Say you have to pay whatever it is, $100,000 to free this ransom, to free these people. Once they're freed, they have to pay you back the $100,000. That's the, that's the halacha, that's the Torah law. Okay, now listen to this. The Ishbitzer Rebbe says that those sailors were being held captive by the gold. Meaning to say, I'll put it in my words, they were prisoners of their own greed. 
And so when the man threw the gold overboard, he freed them from their captivity. And therefore, they owe him the money back since he freed them and spent all this money freeing them. And then when the Gary Rebbe heard the Ishbitzer Rebbe's explanation, he said, wow, you know how to learn. <laughs> so that's, that, that, I mean, can you imagine just, that's just like a little tiny, <laughs> tiny, 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 tiny glimpse into the, that base medrash, because they were, they were learning together. They were part of the same yeshiva, at least for a window in time. So, but think of all the, all the flashes of divine inspiration and genius and all the Bate Midrashim throughout history. Conversations that probably were never recorded. Well, certainly were never recorded, but, but, but genius beyond genius. And here, like, we are privileged to have heard one little exchange just in, in one base medrash that was captured for us. So it's a privilege to hear it. It's a privilege to learn it. <clears throat> so I was thinking of something uh, during davening today. Actually, some, a very interesting occurrence happened today. Um, well, I'm going to talk to you about the letter Shin in a moment. <laughs> but I was thinking about the letter Shin, but I'll, I'll tell you in what context. It's a wholly different context than, what I'm, than the story I'm about to tell you. But I'm just telling you this because it just, just struck me. But anyway, part of the story is that I was thinking about the letter Shin this morning. But anyway, um, I went to uh, a lunch and, and, uh, and there, were, there were two people there who had uh, Hebrew tattoos. And you know, whenever you see, um, whenever you see Hebrew tattoos with, um, with three letters in them, more likely than not, they're one of the names of Hashem from the, from the, so there's a very interesting thing, and this is very, very old. Rashi's already talking about it, and it's way before Rashi. There's one section in all of Torah, the only instance of this, where you have three verses in a row with 72 letters each. Now imagine taking each 72-letter verse and, and making one line of it, and then underneath that, another line, and then another line under that. So you're stacking the three 72-letter verses. By the way, for reasons we won't go into right now, the middle one is reversed. And now you have three stacks, imagine in your mind, of 72-letter lines. So now, if you were to um, look at it from a slightly different angle, you have three letters and three letters and three letters and 72 groups of three letters, right? Because there's three verses stacked, one on top of each other. So these three letter names, and this is by, the context is, is right when the sea splits. So this is a time of tremendous miracles that this unique occurrence in the Torah happens. So, so you see, even though Jews are not supposed to get tattoos, but the, the nations of the world don't have this um, stringency upon them. So, so uh, anyway, so, so I was discussing it with them, you know, the, uh, 
these tattoos, these, these three letter names. And, and they were sort of surprised that I knew what the, what, what they were, you know? And then I, I came after lunch back here. And what was Rabbi Freeman discussing of all things? These three letter names. And one of the, and the name that they had began with the letter Shin, which is something that I had been contemplating this morning. So anyway, why, why was he talking about it now? I thought originally that it was sort of like, wow, here they were at lunch and now I'm learning about it later. But what he said, the reason why he was talking about it was because it's very much related to Hoshana Rabbah. Because one of the name, one of the things that we say over and over again is Ani Vaho. And Vaho is one of these names. And this is something that's all of Hoshana Rabbah. So I think it's actually the other way. I think it's because this, these were in the air. That that's why I sort of encountered these people. Not, not vice versa, you know. Anyway, that aside. So let me tell you about this letter, Shin. So I believe this is the Zohar. Um, so you have this phenomenon throughout the Torah, throughout Tanakh, all the books of Tanakh, where every letter of the Olive Base, the 22 letters of the Olive Base, will appear somewhere as a large letter and somewhere as a small letter. So it's interesting the context. For instance, today we had a large letter at the end of Kehelis, right? We were just talking about Kehelis. The very end, the word Sof has a large Samech. And if you think about it, like the, the letter of this holiday for Sukkot, Sukkot begins with the letter Samech, is the letter Samech. Because a Samech is a, it's a circle and the, or it's a hug, if you will, and the, and the Sukkah is a hug or a circle. So it makes sense that the large letter Samech would appear during Sukkot. That, that makes sense. Okay. But, but the, but what I want to talk to you about is this large letter Shin. The large letter Shin is in Shira Shirin. Okay which is the Song of Songs, which is a very mystical book because on the surface, it seems to be a very, very, very intense, elaborate love poem. But, um, but really, it's a, it's a very deep sort of like commentary on this love affair between God and the Jewish people. And in fact, if you look up Shir Shirim in, say, one of the art scroll sitters or something like that, they don't even translate it. They don't even give you the surface simple definition. They only give you the, the deeper explanation. Um, and, and I heard, uh, I, I heard from Rabbi, uh, Shlomo Katz, I forgot in whose name he said it in, but he said that this is a rare instance where the sod is the pshat. See, normally speaking, you have different levels of learning within Torah, each getting progressively deeper, the Pshat being the most simple level, and the Sod being the deepest level. But by Shir Shirim, by the Song of Songs, the deepest level is actually the most simple level, meaning this, this parable about um, God's relationship with the Jewish people. Um, and anyway... So what is, the, what is the Zohar coming to say about this big letter shit? They say that it correlates with the big bays of Breshis. So, so there's a connection between the very first letter of the Torah, 
which is which is actually the second letter of the olive base, but the first letter of the Torah, this giant base, and then you have this giant shin in Shir Shirim. So why would you connect those two things exactly? And the reason is, is because you have this system which the Gemara talks about called Atbash. So what's going on with Atbash? So this is another, we're talking about all these different complicated sequences, right? But you have 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, imagine you've got two stacks of 11 letters, right? Um, and you, you do it in this horseshoe way so that, so that you have the first 11 letters starting with the letter Aleph. And then when you get to the 11th letter, you're going to now curve around and, 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 and go backwards so that, so that it's two stacks of 11 letters, but under the first letter, the Aleph, you'll have the last letter of the, of the, of the Aleph base. You'll have the letter Tuf. The second letter will be Bayes, and under that you'll have the second to last letter, the letter Shin. Aha! So here is our correlation between the letter Bayes and the letter Shin. Remember, we're figuring out why is the Zohar correlating the big Bayes of Rashis with the big Shin of Shir Hashirim. Okay? So we see that there's a very organic connection between the two letters, um, which is in this Atbash formulation that one is the second letter of the olive base and the other is the second to last, okay? But still, that gives us a more formalistic understanding of it, but it doesn't really tell us why, why the Zohar is going out of its way to point out these two things. So anyway, I don't know why exactly I was thinking about this this morning, but I was thinking about it and trying to figure it out. And I, I don't remember, if there's an official answer, I don't know what the official answer is, by the way. I'm just going to give you my own understanding. So, so I realized that there is a very um, strong connection between the two. So what, what is the connection? So Bayes, the Bayes of Breishis, right? Bayes is the number two. So Bayes, I'd like to suggest, stands for God and the Jewish people. Those are two parties, right? And that's the base. And what's Shira, what's Shira Shirim about? This love story about God and the Jewish people. So here you have like a very organic connection between the two. But then I was thinking about it further, and I thought to myself, well, isn't it interesting? It's, it's really like an evolution. Because you begin with the letter Bayes, right? But it takes you a while to get to the letter Shin. Because the Bayes is like basically at the beginning of the alphabet. Shin is basically at the end of the alphabet. In other words, it starts off as God and the Jewish people, but then it develops over history into this intense love affair. Right? And especially at the end of days, you know, if you want to think of the sequence of the Olive Bays, the, the end of the Olive Bays would be correlating with the end of history, right? So then it becomes more and more revealed. What becomes the, the, the secret, the sowed, becomes more and more pshat, if you will. Like, what was the story of history? It seems to be hidden what the story of history is. 
But at the end, oh, the giant shin of Shir Shirim. At the end, we get to the end of the olive base, so to speak. And then we realize, ah, the whole story was this love affair. Okay, so that's the letter Bays and the letter Shin. But then I was thinking about Shin even more. And I was, you see, the letter Shin is really super intense. It's super, super duper intense. And I'll tell you something. When the first luchos, when the first tablets were smashed, we really don't have anything left over from those first tablets. I guess maybe they're contained in the, the Aron HaKodesh, the Ark of the Covenant, which is hidden away someplace. I think. But we, all of us, all of us here, still have a little fragment of the first luchos. And I'll tell you what that is. Okay? It's very wondrous, actually. So you have to understand something. The first tablets were very different from the second tablets. They had the exact same commandments written on them, but the first tablets were absolutely miraculous. There were all these miracles by the first tablets, which weren't by the second tablets. Okay? So, for instance, um, uh, if, if you hold up a piece of paper, if you write something on a piece of paper and then you turn it over and maybe you hold it up to the light, you can see the writing, but the writing is backwards, right? But by the first tablets, they were written in, they were written in stone through and through, by the way, not just on the stone. The letters went right through, so they were carved in. If you read it, you read it one way, and then if you turn them over, they read exactly the same the other way. Now, if they've been carved through and through, that's impossible. It's a miracle, okay? Not only that, but there was another very interesting miracle, which is that there are two letters which are basically circles. There's a circle or a square. So the circle would be the letter Samach. So if you were to carve through and through the letter Samach, the little donut hole in the middle would fall out. Or if you were to make a final mem, the little circle or square in the middle would fall out. So the Gomorrah the Gomor and Gomorrah Megillah tells you that those little circles inside the letters Samach and Mem were miraculously suspended. Okay? Not only that, but they say that the entire Torah, including the oral law, was written on the first tablets. So, and then there are more miracles, by the way, but that's just some of them. The second tablets were carved out by stone, by Moshe. And so even though the writing on it was the Ten Commandments, quote unquote, writing, same as the first ones, so they were the same, but they were also miles and miles and miles and miles apart. Because when we fell from our stature, somehow the, 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 the Torah that became relevant to us or the level of the Torah that was revealed to us had to also change according to our spiritual level because we were like angels at that moment. So we got this angelic construct. But then when we were more humans and more 
you know, flesh and bloody, we got a more concrete sort of law. Okay. But what is this tantalizing idea that we, all of us, many of us in our homes, have a piece of the first luchos? What is that? What is that? So the answer is, and this gets a little wild, the answer is going back to the letter Shin. And so, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but on Tefillin, on the head Tefillin, on one side you have a three-pronged letter Shin, which is the way we normally write it, and then you have the very mysterious, elusive, four-pronged letter Shin on the other side of your tefillin. Now this four-pronged letter Shin doesn't exist. There is no four-pronged letter Shin, and yet it's on the tefillin itself. Where does this four-pronged letter Shin come from? And the answer is from the first Lucos. Now, how does that work exactly? How does this work? So we know the, the Ramban brings this in his introduction to Chumash, and it's one of the most far-out ideas. I, I love it so much, which is that the Torah is a black fire written on white fire. Right? So the simple way of understanding that, that's a very esoteric idea, black fire on white fire, what's going on? But the very simple explanation of that is that the black fire, meaning the letters that you actually see on the scroll, that represents what is revealed in the world. You see, anyone who thinks, the Torah is very, very deep, it's exceedingly deep, even the Torah scroll is exceedingly deep. Anyone who thinks that the white background of the Torah is just cloth or paper, right, to write on, doesn't understand the first thing about Torah. That is also, represents all the spiritual worlds, but because it's white fire, these are the spiritual realms that are there, but are unseen. But they're there. But they're unseen. These are all the, what we would call the olamos, the, 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 the endless worlds that exist. Okay? So it's black fire and white fire. Okay. Now listen to this. But so the even though on your tefillin it's a black four-pronged shin, nonetheless, the source of the four-pronged letter shin is from the white fire of the Torah. Now you have to sort of um, I'm gonna demonstrate with my hands. If you wanna do this at home, you can do this. You make three fingers, right? Hold up three fingers. That's your traditional letter shin. That's your black fire letter shin. And now with your other hand, hold up four fingers. That's your four prong shin. And now put the four prong shin top to bottom over your three pronged shin. And now you see where the four prong shin comes from. Okay? And that's the white fire four pronged shin. All right, and, and so it's a two shins, basically one right side up, one upside down, interlocking with each other. Okay. 
So, okay. So I started thinking about this also. We're still on the letter Shin. And what did we say? We said that the letter Shin stands for the big letter Shin is standing for Shira Shirim, which is this love story between God and the Jewish people. We also said that this is going to be the end of history because it's the end of the Olive Bays. That's my own addition. We're also now connecting it to the head to fillin. All right? So now, say two more thoughts on this. But let's go deeper. Why, if there was going to be evidence of a four-pronged letter shin, would it be on your tefillin? And why would it be on your head tefillin? And what I would like to suggest, and I don't think I'm saying anything original here, but I didn't hear this from anyone, but I think this is probably a pretty basic explanation, is because when you, when you see, let me, let me introduce this thought for a second. You see, the human body is in the shape of the holiest name of God. You have the Yudke Vavke in your anatomy. So the, the letter Yud is your head, okay? And if you actually stand in profile, it actually looks surprisingly like a letter Yud, your, your whole head. Your arms, right, form like the letter He. Your torso is the letter Vav, and your legs are the letter He. So you actually see that, that the, the, the name of God, Yud Ke Vav Ke, is, is the shape of your anatomy. But, but even cooler than this, though, is that the letter Yud actually has a little tip at the top of it, which Kabbalistically is, is way out. This stands for Keter, the highest realms in, in, in heaven. And when you wear your head to fillin, your head is the letter Yud, but the head to fillin now becomes the tip of the letter Yud. Right? So, so basically what that means is is that on a very, very deep level, one of the mystical sort of like um, benefits of putting on tefillin is that the head tefillin is, is, is a transmitter of sorts to the upper worlds. And, and interestingly, it's over that area, which is the last part of the skull to close. You know, it's like you... I think other traditions refer to that area as the third eye, right? So you're putting the tefillin over that, which means that you're channeling light from the upper realms into your brain. It's pretty wild, actually. Okay, so now it's sort of like, now remember the whole imagery that we were saying about the four-pronged letter shin. So, so let's just reset for a moment. The four-pronged letter Shin is a relic that we still have hold of from the first tablets, which were given to us when we were on the level of angels. 
So, and what are we doing when we're putting on our head to fill in? We're transmitting and drawing down light from the upper realms, from the realms of white fire. So the four-pronged letter shin is this white fire that we're drawing down into our brains. Now, now think of it this way. People, the brain, if God blesses you, you're able to think of thoughts that are beyond you, right? And that's the interface, the interface between the rational mind and Ruach HaKodesh. Where God blesses you with thoughts that are just beyond. You're not really capable of having these thoughts, but God just blesses you with them because you are trying to live a life of sanctity. And so God just uh, just elevates your thoughts beyond this realm. So now, all of a sudden, it's thoroughly logical that there should be a four-pronged letter shin on your head to fill in, isn't it? It's gone from like, what is that? To, oh, that's what it is. To, of course it's there. Why wouldn't it be there? It has to be there. (laughs) Because that four-pronged, remember, if you do that exercise with your fingers again, the three-pronged letter shin would stand for your mind, and the four-pronged letter shin, which is the white fire, is interlocking and is coming down from above into your mind, right? The white fire is coming down into the black fire, which is the revealed, which is you in this instance. Okay. We also make the letter shin. Um, there are different ways to tie your tefillin. At least the way Chabad does it, you put it on your upper forearm and then you have the letter shin there but I'm sure there are other traditions where it shows up on your palm or whatever it is, but it doesn't, doesn't matter. The point is, is that with the straps, you're actually creating a letter shin on your body. So what's kind of cool about that, I mean, it's kind of funny because we started off with this idea of this tattoo of the letter shin, but you're actually writing the letter shin on your body just about every single day, which is kind of funny. It's sort of like a kosher tattoo, you know? (laughs) So anyway, the point is that um, that you have this merging. You have this merging because the, this letter Shin is standing for Shin Shira Shirim, which is this love story, which is this merging of heaven and earth, and 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 they're coming together and they're becoming one, such that God's name is being written all over you, right? Because when you tie the straps, you're spelling out a name of God on your body, which which which, more than just spelling it out on your body, is is a manifestation of a total merging, like the story of Shir Shirim this merging of, of you and God. So, so that's, that, that, that's, that's what it is. It's all, this is all about 
heaven and earth coming together. And and you see it, you, you, you see it here. Okay, so now I want to change topics, but it's all the same topic. But but I want to go um, I want to go into a question that is uh, that I ask myself just about every year, and this year I didn't ask myself it, but someone else asked me. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's a question a lot of people are asking. And it's a great question, but I have a, I have a new answer this year, so I'm I'm sort of excited about that. So here's the question. The question is: On Rosh Hashanah, we get very very excited because we're saying that God is remaking the entire world. By the way, it's Hashanah Rabba right now, so Rabbeinu Bechaya points out something very beautiful, um, which is that we were discussing the holiest name of God, the Yud Kei Vav Kei that everybody knows that Rosh Hashanah is the sixth day of creation, that's when human beings were, were, were created, which means that the actual first day of creation is the 25th day of Elul, which means that Hoshana Rabbah, counting from the first day of creation, is the 26th day of creation, which is Yudke Vavke. So today, starting from the first day of creation, today is Yudke Vavke, which is the name of Hashem. Right? So that's another indication of the sanctity of today. Um, see, Torah is so super cool because in in some traditions, like I heard in, in Bavav, Hoshana Rabbah is like the holiest day of the year. And so what you find in Torah is that sometimes the mundane like, today is not officially a holiday. It's Cholomoyd Sukkot. Okay, so that's not nothing. It's Cholomoyd that's special. But you can go to work if you needed to go to work. You can drive in your car. You can, you can, uh, you can spend money. You can, you know, you can do all sorts of things. Use electricity, all sorts of things. But the idea is that eventually, see, eventually the body is going to have the sanctity of the soul. That's, that's where history is heading. And, you know, we tend to think of the body as just this sort of like delivery vehicle for the soul. And the truth is, is that there is something to that. And it's actually more helpful in life, probably, to have that point of view. That you are your soul and your soul is you. And you just try to take care of your body as best you can, but your body is not the main point. But on the other hand, God doesn't just do things. <laughs> and if he does something and he makes this awesome, miraculous thing called the human body, he has something in mind for it. It's not just this meat puppet, right? It's something like beyond that. And so eventually the body is going to have the level of sanctity of the soul. Because the whole, when heaven and earth emerge, all the material world is going to have a level of sanctity that it can't even approach right now. So that's why you can have something like Hoshana Rabbah today, which seems like a normal day. Like I said, you can drive in your car, go to work, whatever it is, if you need to, is the holiest day in, in, in some approaches. Why? How could this be the holiest day if it's not a holiday? Because that's the exact point. This, this day is pointing at the culmination and the fulfillment 
of the end of days where heaven and earth will merge and all of the mundane will become equally sacred. Okay, so, so what's cool about Torah is sometimes you're joining the story and observing the end result of the story before it's become fully revealed. You see, we're, we, those of us who are here right now, understand the importance of what Hoshana Rabbah is. But the world, it hasn't really been fully revealed in the world yet. So what's kind of cool is that we're getting to participate in the sanctity of this day before the story has finished being told yet. It's, it's, it's cool. It's cool. Okay, so, so what is this question that everyone asks year to year if you're not, if you're not asking it yourself yet? On Rosh Hashanah, we get very excited because we say, okay, it's the birthday of the world. The whole universe has been recreated. It's a brand new universe. And we know whatever is going on in the Torah is going on in the world. So here's the question everyone asks. Why don't we begin? Why don't we read the big bays of Breshis? Why don't we begin the Torah on Rosh Hashanah? In other words, the, the rabbis, we have often have double parshas. You can accelerate the speed of the Torah. We can still do the Torah in one year if we want to. By the way, in, in previous generations, they would take three years or seven years to go through the Torah. This is a not a relatively new innovation. It's been going on for hundreds of years, but it's, it's um, new-ish, I guess, relative to 3,300 years that we go through it every single year, okay? So the, the rabbis could have easily have doubled up the parshas. Since we're ending the Torah, finishing of the Torah around Rosh Hashanah anyway, you make a couple of minor adjustments and you could have finished the Torah in time for Rosh Hashanah, no problem whatsoever. And then to celebrate the brand new universe, we have the beginning of the Torah. Sounds good. Why not? Why not? Or, let's put it this way. Why are we doing it after we finish all the holidays? Because it's the first Shabbos after, well, actually on Simchas Torah is when, you know, which is like just a few days after Hoshana Rama, right? It's, I guess, technically in Israel, it's the next day after Hoshana Rama. We're finishing the Torah, okay? Here we'll wait an extra day. And then that Shabbos will be Shabbos Breshis, but we'll already have read, you know, the beginning of the, of the Torah. Why wait till then? And the answer that was told to me is because you're not finished being created yet. Yes, it's a brand new world, but the creation of self is still going on. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense because what did we say on Hoshana Rabbah that's when the process, that's when it's the, the verdict is delivered. So this whole cycle of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Hoshana Rabbah, it's not complete till today. And then once you, so to speak, finish up yourself, 
then the next day, in Israel anyway, what do you do? You start the Torah. So there's actually a, an immediate correlation between the finishing of the creation of self, which, by the way, is an ongoing process which never ends to our last breath, by the way. But there is a formalistic sort of version of it that we're going through right now. And that's being, that's being completed right now. Okay, so good. So let's, let's go deeper. The question is, okay, so that's a good answer. You're not done with yourself yet. So when you're done with yourself, then we can start the Torah. Because you and the Torah are also one. Okay, so you're not done yet. So now that you're done, we'll, we'll start the Torah again. Okay, that's good. But I want to connect it to the prayer for rain. <laughs> what? Yes. Yes. Okay, it's clearly the early AMs. <laughs> what? One of the coolest things in the world. Okay, now... I'll tell you this if you don't know it already, but it, it, it's actually, it gets, it gets cooler and more beautiful. If you look at the, if you look at the Torah, especially the beginning passages of the Torah, it tells you, I don't, I forgot on what day, I'm sorry, but on one of the early days, maybe it's the fourth day, I'm not sure. Maybe it's the third day, I'm not sure. It tells you that God made all the all the herbage, grass and everything like that, okay? In the fields, plants, things like this. But then, if you read on in the Torah, it says that, it says that God, you know, formed, you know, this clod of earth. By the way, um, earth is in Hebrew, Adama. And that's why a human being is called Adam, because it comes from Adama, the ground. We were formed from earth from the ground, and then God blew our souls into us through our nose, and now all of a sudden, each person, which is, again, just one of my favorite visuals, each person is part physical, because you're made out of the earth, but then you have a soul, which is from the from Hashem, the highest heavens. Each person is a microcosm of the universe. Each person is heaven and earth. It's amazing, right? It's so simple, but you see it right there. Wow, every single person's heaven and earth. Okay, good. So God creates the first human being, and it says that the very first thing that that um, that that Adam did was. He kind of like had consciousness and he, he, the first thing that, do you know the first thing that we did, the first thing that the human being did was we saw that there was a need for rain. And this is right in the Torah, by the way. This is not, you, and it, and it says that we, that Adam prayed for rain and then it rained and then all of a sudden the Garden of Eden became green. Now you say, wait a second, I thought we were just talking about a few minutes ago that God had already created all the herbage. 
So what are you telling me that he rained and then all of a sudden it became green? So all the rabbis are way ahead of this question because they said, they're the ones who asked it. And they said, you know what it was? All the herbage had been created, but it was waiting just under the ground, waiting for Adam to pray for the rain. And then all of a sudden, everything turns green. So, so here's the beautiful part. That's sort of the surprising part if you didn't know it. But here's the beautiful part. The beautiful part is that the first thing that we do, the first thing that we did when we were created was we prayed. We sensed that there was a lack. That's very deep in itself. Then we, or there was a need but a need and a lack sort of overlap, however you want to express it. We sensed that there was a need. We prayed. And our prayer was immediately answered. So just think about that in terms of like um, child rearing. Because God, we're the first child. Adam is the first child and God is the father. What is the first thing that our father in heaven taught all of us, because we all come from Adam. So this is all part of our, our our soul consciousness. What is the very first thing, the very first thing that we were taught? I hear your prayers and I answer them. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? The very, very first thing the human species was taught was if you sense that you need something, pray for it. And God told us, I hear your prayers and I answer them. And not only that, but I've prepared the answer for your prayers even before you prayed for them. Right? Because all the herbage had already been created and it was all waiting underground. So I hear your prayers, I answer your prayers, and not only that, I knew what you were going to pray for and I prepared the answer to your prayers before you even prayed it. And not only that, but where'd you get the idea to pray? I gave you the idea to pray. <laughs> How well does God know us? <laughs> We're so fortunate. We're so fortunate. We're so fortunate. Okay, so here's what I, I thought was kind of... Oh, okay. <laughs> Here's here's what I thought was uh, so fortunate is or or so uh, so um, interesting was that we we we, we, we just said that um, we're not we're not done we're not we're not we don't start the Torah again. Uh, so we're going to tie these thoughts together now. What did we say? We don't begin the Torah again. We, we should theoretically begin it on Rosh Hashanah because it's a new world and whatever going on in the Torah is going on in the world. And so let's begin the Torah again since we've begun the world again. Very logical. And then what did we say? We said, no, 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 no. We are not done yet. We as human beings are not done yet. Now, what do we do... 
on the day, what do we do on Shmini Atzeres? And Shmini Atzeres is, in Israel anyway, is the same day as Simcha's Torah, when we start the Torah again. What do we do on Shmini Atzeres? We pray for rain. Which is what human beings did when they were created. In other words, there's the finishing of the cycle of the creation of the human being. There it is. There is the correlation. The prayer for rain is the beginning of the human being, the new human being. So on the very day, on the very day that we finish ourselves, we of course pray for rain, because that's when Adam Arishon prayed for rain. That's the first thing that he did when he prayed for rain. And then what do we do after that? We begin the Torah again, because we're new creations at that moment. We finish this process of, of creation. So, you know, you know this, you know this, which is that if you don't love yourself on some level, it's very hard to feel anyone else loving you. If you think you're a piece of junk, then when people love you, then you go, well, I just can't reciprocate their love because I'm unlovable. So your love for me is meaningless, ultimately, because I don't even understand the concept of love because I don't love myself. I don't love myself. So... I don't speak the language of love. So when you're, when you're expressing love for me, I, I don't even know what that means. So in order to get into the love club, <laughs> that would like be the worst name for a pizzeria, wouldn't you say? <laughs> hey, let's go to the love club. Why? I just want to get a slice. <laughs> you know, like, but, in, but really, in order to be a member of the love club, if you're not, if you don't love yourself, and I'm not talking about some, you know, weird forms of narcissism right now. I'm just talking about something on a more divine level. Right? See, then, then you can't understand love. So... So I'm going somewhere with this. What, what, what I'm trying to say is the following. We're talking about how right now we're at the home stretch of completing ourselves. Right? Because this is the last day. Hoshana Rabbah is basically the last day of work before we go into, you know, Shmini Yatzeris. And then Shmini Yatzeris is already the prayer for rain. You're already done. At that point. Again, it's a lifelong process, but again, formalistically, this is when we're done. So, so how does it work? So everybody knows if you want to either start from Rosh Chodesh Elul, or if you want to start from Rosh Hashanah, that's tshuva me'ira. Tshuva from the standpoint of awe or fear, depending on what level the person is on. What's the difference You've got higher level Yira and lower level Yira. Lower level Yira is fear of reprisal, divine reprisal. 
I did something wrong and God is going to zap me. By the way, not a bad thing. You have to have a little of the lower yira too. You, you, otherwise you get a little too comfortable with your relationship with God. Like, uh, God's a God of love. He's not going to, he doesn't care what I do. He does care. He does care. So we, we do have to have a little bit of the lower level yira. But it doesn't compare with the higher level yira. The higher level yira is, the way I heard it in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, is that you've got this mind-blown awe, which is that you're walking through the king's palace. You don't want to do anything to disturb anything because you're just so blown away by the majesty of the king, right? So you want to be very careful because everything is so awesome and beautiful. Like you don't want to be tracking mud through the king's palace. You don't want to do that, right? So that's a one sort of conjuring anyway of the, of the higher level awe. But then when we hit Sukkot, that, that ends at, Russia, at Yom Kippur time. That's the Yira model. Now we're doing a new cycle, which is coming to the end right now. This cycle is tshuva me'ava, returning to God from love. Remember, yira and ava, ava, love and awe, work together, and the rabbis call it the two wings of the dove. You need yira and ava together in order to fly. If you only have one, you're just going to flap around and move, go around in circles. You want to make real progress, you have to have both. Okay? So now we're finishing up Chuva Meava. That's what's going on right now. Now, isn't it interesting that the last day of Chuva Meava is David Hamelech? You know what David means? Beloved. So you have to know that you're beloved in order to love God back. To, in order... See, look, what did we say? We said... See, basically, we're right on the border of praying for rain, which is the completion of Adam. Because the first thing Adam did when he was created was pray for rain. That's what we said. And now we're about to be completed, and tomorrow we're going to pray for rain. Right? Well, to, to, we're, we're on the early part of today, so, so it seems like in two days, but it's really, I guess, technically tomorrow. Um, anyway, but what did we say? We said that, that, that God's first interaction with mankind was this awesome level of love because he said, look, I've prepared the answer for your prayer before you've even prayed for it. And I'm blessing you to know that I hear your prayer and that I'm answering your prayer. So, but if you don't have a concept of love, you're not going to receive any of those messages. You see, let's say it's your birthday right? And you go home and you go to the office, you go home and there's a cake for you at the office and there's a cake for you at, at the house. And you think, well, the reason why there's a cake for me at the office is because it's my birthday. And of course there's a cake because it's my birthday. 
And the reason why there's a cake for me at the house is because it's my birthday. <laughs> and of course there's a cake for me because it's my birthday. Everyone gets a cake when it's their birthday. And I saw that the, the secretary down the hall got a cake when it was her birthday. <laughs> and I saw that the, you know, the assistant manager got a cake when it's his birthday. So you get, that's just what it is. So in other words, you are not even accessing the love that's in the air, even though it's manifest around you. So there can be love that's manifest around you, but if you don't, if you're not a member of the love club, right? If you don't have this sense of love for yourself, there can be all this love being manifested around you and you can't access it at all because you just go, oh, that's what it is. I get flowers on my anniversary. There's no, that's just what it is. There's no love behind it, but there could be love behind it. There's probably love behind it, but you have to have that love inside you to see the love outside you. So what I'm trying to say is, I'm trying to say the following, <laughs> that we're completing the cycle of tshuva me'ava right now. We're, we're completing the cycle of returning to God out of love right now. And we have to have that recognition within us that we love God in order to realize that when our prayer for rain is answered and that when we utter it, that God is answering that prayer as an expression of love. Otherwise, we just go, yeah, it's raining because we're in the rainy season. That's what it does. It rains in the rainy season. It's my birthday, so there's a cake. So, we'll just wrap it up. And you see, we, we get to decide how we want to interpret the massive data points that are going around us. That's literally up to us. You know, like I, I once heard someone say, and I never, never forgot this phrase. It's your movie. It's your movie. You know, between your ears, that's up to you. And how you decide that you want to interpret what it means to be part of existence is up to you. You know, we were talking about it this morning, and I just... Uh, just want to touch on it and, and we're wrapping it up here but just just to touch on it again so rabbi tatz has a new book out i have it right here actually i just started it it's called as dawn ends the night and he begins the book with this very very interesting quote from a scientist which says that he's the scientist says um i see god all over the Bible, but when I look at the world, I don't see God at all. So there's a big disconnect in this person's mind between God in the Torah and, and, and what's going on in the world. 
Okay. So, so then he uses that as the jumping off point for his book. Now, I, I heard something that I thought was like kind of interesting, which was that apparently there's a bit of a phenomenon that medical students, like many medical students, lose their faith in God. Why? Because they're in front of these cadavers um, and they're like getting into human anatomy in the deepest, most amazing way and studying all the interconnections and this universe that exists within the body and how everything connects to everything. And all of a sudden you think, this is what's real. This is how it works. And you think, okay, well, I mean, I don't think that they actually say these words, but this is kind of on a deep level what's going on. I know everything. Here is the closed system before me. Here's the body and here's how it works. I know the secrets to how it works. It's science. It's not anything beyond that. It's just science. And so because there's a rational, amazing answer to basically everything, and it's all right in front of your eyes, and you're being overwhelmed with this information, right? A lot of people lose their faith. So here's my question. Where did the body come from? <laughs> you get so busy. You get so busy knowing all the answers. But you take a step back and you go, but wait a second. Yeah, where did this world come from? Where does existence and consciousness come from? How is this even going on? And, you know, I, the, a scientist ultimately will tell you, you know what he'll tell you? I don't know. They've got lots of answers, but you ask them, how did the world get created? What happened before the creation of the world? And every single scientist, whether they have, even if they have Nobel Prizes, will tell you, I don't know. <laughs> they don't know. So, so we get to decide... And we say we do know, because we say Torah emet. And the Torah itself is truth. And the Torah is explaining to us where creation came from. And the Torah itself is explaining to us what, what we're supposed to do with this world, with this opportunity to be alive. So, so what I would just suggest on this sort of like finishing off on the day of love, of returning to God out of love, is just to see yourself in this divine embrace. Right? Yeah, I did this talk, I guess it's called You're Never Alone, Sukkot, You're Never Alone, and I, I went into it in a, in a lot of depth. I, rec I It was maybe my favorite talk of the year, if you didn't have a chance to hear it. Talking about this large letter hey in Hazinu. It was far out, just amazing different levels in it. But but the bottom line is is that this world is a big sukkah. This whole world is a big sukkah. And the tzimtzum, the space that God made for this world within himself, was the first divine hug, 
which means that all of creation began with a with a hug. <laughs> which means that the bottom line of all existence is that we're being embraced by God. That's the bottom line of all of existence. And it's up to us whether we decide to perceive the world in that way or not. You know? I remember Rabbi Green, like, used to say, you know what? I, I don't know if I'll do justice to this. I haven't heard him say it in at least a couple of decades. But he would talk about, you know, just how nice it is to feel a breeze <laughs> or to have a sip of cold water on a hot day, <laughs> right? Or to sit on a bench. <laughs> Like, all those things basically free, right? But utter delights, delights, delights. So maybe just a a blessing for for this year would be that... um, that we choose to experience life as this embrace. Amen. And that if anything ever gets hard or annoying, that we understand that it's just a test. One of the things, and I haven't done it with myself so often, but a little bit lately, and I find it always helps me, is sometimes when I'm experiencing something difficult, And I'm not talking major league difficult. I'm talking about like the things that tend to throw us out of whack during a day. You know what I mean? That that level of difficult, which feels like difficult in the moment, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not. But we always experience it as, as very difficult, right? Like let's say you're looking for a parking space and you just can't find one, right? So if in the moments when I'm conscious of this, I say to myself, it's a test. And then I think, this is, I can pass this test. This is just finding a parking space. I definitely can pass this test, (laughs) you know? So it's just somehow like, okay, like just to understand that, that for whatever reason, and we we could explain it, but I don't want to go into it now. And it's fairly self-evident. All the tests of life are just these growth experiences. God wants us to sort of take this inner raw potential within us and through a test, you you take that light and you bring it out into the world, hopefully in a positive way. So you just grow and you just you just emanate more light when you when you go through these things. And if you think everyone is being tested, everyone is this beacon of light and we kind of get it together the whole world is going to be flooded with light, right? So, so let's alternate between two, two, two places of consciousness. One, if we're being tested, just that we should be beacons of light. And two, that we should understand that we're living in this divine embrace and that there's this love affair going on, right? And, and that's up to us. So God should bless us that we should have the strength to be able to actually 
be present in this world of delights that God has created for us. 